Hi, I'm Carmen LeBurge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LeBurge on Faith Radio. If we're going to I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Mornings with Carmen on the Faith Radio Network. Thank you so much for spending this time with me or allowing me to spend this time with you, maybe more appropriately put. Today's Growing Your Faith verse of the day, which you can sign up for to get in your inbox at myfaithradio.com. Today's Growing Your Faith verse of the day comes from Matthew chapter 6, verses 6 and 7. Remember, we are in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7, and um, yesterday... Jesus uh, was telling us, you know, how to give when we give, right? So there's the when, this is the when you give, when you pray uh, section of the Sermon on the Mount. This is uh, past the Beatitudes, which we looked at in chapter 5, and now we're getting direct instruction from our Lord on, you know, how we are to do the things that we are to do as his followers. So when you pray, Jesus says, not if, but when you pray, go into your room close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So again, when you pray, not if. So when was the last time you prayed? Where did you pray? How did you pray? To whom did you pray? In what spirit did you pray? Did you pray to be seen by anybody other than God or heard by anybody other than God? Do you have a prayer room? Go into your room and close the door. When's the last time you prayed like that? Are you in the regular practice of a rhythm of prayer? Jesus was. He got up early every morning and went out to solitary and quiet places to pray. One of the places that he prayed, well known to his followers, was the Garden of Gethsemane, where you and I know that he he prayed a prayer that was so intense and intimate that he is said to have sweat drops of blood. Father, remove this cup from me, but not my will, but yours be done. This prayer of submission, ultimate submission in view of the cross and the sacrifice that he was on his way to make. What is your practice of prayer? What is your attitude of prayer? Who is the person to whom you pray? Do you recognize um, that God is waiting right now to hear from you, his precious child, and that Jesus has won you that access that that is one of the great gifts and blessings accomplished on the cross, that the curtain, the veil is torn in two from top to bottom, that access to the throne room of the Father is granted to those who would enter in the name and in the spirit and by the blood of Jesus. If you're wondering how to pray, use the Lord's Prayer. If you're wondering uh, how to pray, look at the prayers of Jesus. Maybe spend some time in John 17. Look at the the words of Jesus from the cross. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. So where in the word are you today? I'm in Matthew chapter 6, verses 6 and 7. Uh, I have been praying the news this morning, specifically in relationship to um, the verdict handed down yesterday. This is the sentencing phase of um, 
Nicholas Cruz, the young man who confessed, pled guilty last year to 17 counts of first-degree murder uh, in relationship to um, the events of February the 14th, 2018, when having um, planned to and uh, having cased the school that he had attended and having uh, legally procured the weapons and the ammunition necessary to carry out his premeditated um, act of murderous violence. He entered the Marjorie uh, Stoneman Douglas High School and took the lives of 17 individuals, 14 of them students, three of them members of uh, the school staff. Premeditated murder, no question about it. Aggravated murder under the law. Um, It was a mass shooting. What would justice look like? That was ultimately the question that a jury had to decide yesterday. If there was ever a case where the death penalty were going to be applied, this seems like one where it would have legitimately been applied. After all, he pled guilty to 17 counts of premeditated, aggravated first-degree murder. He confessed. This was not a question of whether or not this individual was guilty of the crime for which um, he had been accused. This was a question of whether or not the death penalty, legal in the state of Florida, would be applied to an individual. And it leads us as Christians to spend some time in Scripture and think about and carefully work through the question of the application of the death penalty. And there are a lot of texts of Scripture um, to be brought to bear uh, on this conversation. Certainly, um, if you are going to look for passages of Scripture where capital punishment is not only um, mentioned but even mandated, you're going to start in Genesis chapter 9, verse 6, where God says, Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God, uh, God has made man. So this is um, that would be the most basic uh, verse of Scripture upon which an, a biblical argument for capital punishment would be made. Uh, the law given to Moses at Mount Sinai would be another one, right? Um, you are going to look in Romans chapter 13 for New Testament uh, passages related to this. And then you're going to also find in Scripture prohibitions against capital punishment. And so this is going to become then a conversation where Scripture is going to be invited to interpret Scripture. You're going to look at Deuteronomy 21. Um, You're going to look at Hebrews chapter 9. You're going to look at John chapter 8. Um, Certainly, Scripture permits the use of capital punishment, um, but, uh, you know, very specific conditions are laid out in relationship to it. So this is one of those days upon which we as Christians must think seriously and conscientiously about what the Scriptures say um, about capital punishment, and we must, I mean, without question, you know, look at the cross and recognize that it is um, by capital punishment carried out against Jesus the Christ um, that that we have to consider um, our own lives and uh, and the life that we have been given newly to live. You know, and also recognize that nowhere does Jesus say that those thieves being uh, crucified to his right and to his left are are dying an unjust death. What is noted is that Jesus is dying an unjust death. Lots and lots of conversations to be uh, considered today and had today in relationship to the outcome um, of the penalty trial uh, related to Nicholas Cruz. So be, uh, be thinking about those things today, even as we are certainly thinking about the families who, uh, who lost their loved ones in that massacre in 2018.
Steve West is going to join us next. He's the editor of the Liberties Roundup for World Magazine. And we are going to bring the mind of Christ to bear on some other legal headlines. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBurge, and this is Faith Radio. Right. Joining us now, uh, Steve West. He is an attorney in North Carolina, and he joins us from there this morning. He is the um, aggregator of the Liberties Roundup for World Magazine, and you can find it at WNG.org. Steve, good morning. Good morning, Carmen. Talk with us about um, the Supreme Court's decision to review Google's liability. Sure. You know, this is an issue, uh, the issue of what to do about the big tech and all of the uh, social media, the digital public square, all of that is something that has thus far eluded the Supreme Court, but this is the first case where it will become an issue for the Supreme Court. So a lot of um, readers or listeners will be familiar with all of the complaints about censorship of conservative voices by, by Google and other internet providers, Facebook and Twitter, uh, they'll also be familiar with charges by Democrats that um, that these uh, platforms allow hate speech and other kinds of things they disapprove of on them. And so everybody realizes that something is wrong, something is broken about uh, social media, but thus far, no one quite knows exactly what to do about it. This particular case, though, deals with one issue that arises out of um, out of a a federal law that immunizes uh, or keeps them from being held liable, uh, big tech from being held liable for content that is put on the providers, primarily through social media, but in other ways too, through YouTube here, uh, that's put on there by other users, by third parties, everybody else that puts stuff on there, they're just platforms. And so the platforms say, uh, based on this federal law, which is called it's called Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act. It's passed in 1996, and this Section 230 basically says um, they're not liable content that's placed on the platforms by these third parties. And in this case, the tra- the facts are really tragic. Uh, the family of Nohemi Gonzalez, uh, an American killed in the November 2015 terrorist attacks in Paris, is suing Google, which owns YouTube saying that Google allowed um, videos uh, posted by the Islamic terrorists to be placed on the platform, but more specifically in this case that Google's algorithms that point users to content they may enjoy when they watch a particular video that points them to similar content, but it did that here and it had a radicalizing function and actually spread these kind of ideas on the platform. So they're saying that they're liable for that particular reason. And the lower court the lower court um, rejected the claim that Google was li- liable, felt like it was bound by precedent, but um, that case is being taken up to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court has taken the case. So it'll be interesting to see how they deal with this particularly thorny problem of uh, how to interpret Section 230 uh, in a way that uh, preserves some of the immunity for uh, the platforms for user-generated content, but at the same time 
holds them liable, perhaps, for uh, these kind of uh, algorithms that steer people toward radicalizing kind of videos, and in this case, terrible things um, that happened as a result of that. So that's the issue. I mean, places and spaces where we would not see, uh, we would not want to see um, evidence of the death of our own family members, right? I mean, I think that's part of what's going on here. What, What would we want to be protected from? Um, yeah, that's really, really helpful. Hey, we're going to take a very brief pause. When we come back, we're going to um, uh, have Steve read us in on a a ruling by a federal appeals court um, and a judge's chaplaincy program. That's pretty unique. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, Thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. Joy comes in the morning. I hope you're experiencing the joy of the Lord this morning. His mercies are new every morning. Let's be praying those mercies um, not only be poured out but experienced by each and all of us today. We're talking with Steve West. He's the editor of the Liberties Roundup for World Magazine. You can find what we're talking about today at WNG.org. All right, so there was a divided panel, um, but um, prayer is constitutional. That's ultimately uh, the decision here. What's going on in uh, in this case? Well, that's good to hear that prayer is constitutional. You know, most of us are familiar with uh, public hearings and uh, uh, even Congress opening with prayer. Now, it may not be a Christian prayer, but there is some kind of uh, solemn moment uh, when there's either a moment of silence or there's a prayer that's offered in some of these types of, what is the city council meeting or a, or U.S. Congress. And here, in this case, a Texas judge, he's actually Justice of the Peace, Judge Wayne Mack, invited, uh, had a practice of inviting chaplains of various faiths to open court with prayer. Mack is a Christian, but he opened his courtroom to these various um, chaplains of different faiths. He made clear that no one had to be there uh, during that particular time. It occurred before court actually started, um, and no one had to be there, and it wouldn't impact his rulings in their cases or anything like that. But he used that as just a solemn moment for the, the business of the day. And so in this case, the lower court ruled against Mack, and his practice, and the upper court, the Court of Appeals, looking to history and tradition, these things have been done for a long time, concluded that the judge's program, because it was open to all faiths and didn't compel anyone to attend or watch, was not coercive. You know, there were those who uh, complained uh, about, there was a Texas attorney who's known here only as under a pseudonym, John Rowe, and then a an atheist organization called the Freedom from Religion Foundation, uh, which represented Roe, that claimed that he was biased against those who skipped pr- the prayer. And here, uh, the Court of Appeals said there was just no evidence that there was any actual bias against anyone. Uh, so all there was was a subjective sort of 
perception uh, that uh, that he was biased, and <laughs> he may take he took great pains to convince attendees that they didn't need to watch the ceremony and that that wouldn't affect his case. So, you know that um, that that I think carried the day in this particular case. There was just no evidence of any any bias. You know, I think that just because someone's religious, it doesn't mean that their presence automatically creates coercion. And I think in this case, the way that uh, Judge Mack set it up uh, was really a testament to the diversity of the country. I mean, I might not stay for a prayer that's not a Christian prayer in such a courtroom, but it is, I think, a good thing to recognize that this is a solemn moment and a time. Uh, and prayer kind of it does that. It lends itself to that solemnity. All right, so one of the things that people may not know about this particular guy is that basically he started out, I mean, he's now, you know, he's now a justice of the peace. He's now a um, a judge. But Wayne Mack um, had a really distinguished career of public service. And the law enforcement community in Montgomery County, um, Texas, like they, they literally, they love this guy. Um, back in 1985, um, Wayne Mack worked um, in a local church um, and joined the building maintenance department of Montgomery County. Like, that's where he started out. He was a youth minister, basically, volunteer youth minister. Um, And, you know, and his day job was, um, you know, cleaning government buildings. He was, you know, promoted over time and eventually became the director of building custodial services for Montgomery County. Along the way, um, one of the other things that he has done is he has established this chaplaincy program um, in the county that assists law enforcement in times of tragedy. And there's more than 60 churches and pastors in Montgomery County involved in this ministry. And so when we talk about a person who, over the course of their life, has demonstrated um, their sincerely held religious beliefs and is actually walking their faith out every single day. Um, this is a guy that you would, I mean, there is a substance here uh, to um, to what he is doing and his commitment to his own community and his very, very humble service over the course of his life. So I just wanted you guys to know all that, a little bit of backstory on this particular individual. All right, we got, uh, we got uh, time. We got a couple of minutes here to talk about a medical worker who is, fighting a faith-related firing. What's going on here, Steve? Yeah, this woman's name is Valerie Klusterman. Uh, For about 17 years, she's been working as a physician assistant for Michigan Health. And so what happened here in her case is that she was in a training seminar last year that she was required to attend, and she was required to check boxes to indicate that she affirmed statements about sexuality and transgenderism that she just couldn't affirm because of her Christian beliefs, uh, and check those boxes. She believes that God ordains biological sex and that neither drugs nor surgery can alter it. So she shared those concerns uh, with her human resources team. They told her, um, a diversity leader there told her that, uh, called her evil and told her not to take her Bible or her religious beliefs to work. And then a month later, she was fired from her job. So you know, what comes in play here, and by the way, this case is already, there was a uh, lawsuit filed this week over this case, so obviously they're not they're not listening to um, uh, those concerns. But what comes into play here is Title VII of the Civil Rights Act, which uh, require, or Title VII, which requires that, um, that, that employers make religious accommodation, accommodation for those who 
uh, have particular religions unless it's unless it's an undue hardship to the employer. So there's been a lot of litigation over Sabbath accommodation, those types of things. But here there's accommodation for her not wanting to use um, uh, pronouns to refer to patients. She just uses patient names in that setting. And she also doesn't want to uh, have to make uh, sex change referrals, uh, you know, in, 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 as well. So she doesn't want to participate in this kind of uh, this kind of program that uh, is against her Christian beliefs. And in the, in the, so far, the hospital has said, uh, "No, you must," and that has fired her. So mm. we'll see how that turns out. Steve, as always, but this um, is increasingly thank you. an issue. Yeah, no, absolutely, and it's really, really helpful to understand what one person is experiencing because so many other people um, are experiencing varieties of this. Uh, Maybe on the flip side, you know, in my own family, um, uh, I've got a 19-year-old daughter who now works at uh, Publix, which is a grocery store where we live, and she she initially, when she was hired, she told them that she would really, you know, prefer to have Sundays off if she could, if they could schedule around Sundays, it would be great. And then over the course of time you know, scheduling on Sunday has like been more and more frequent. And so I said to her this past week, you need to say something like you, you need to politely um, say something. Uh, And so they had a conversation and what they've agreed is because, you know, what she shared is I want to be able to go to church on Sunday morning. They said, okay, we will not schedule you for early Sunday shifts. I mean, if we still need you on Sunday later in the day, um, you know, what, are you open to that? And she said, yes. And so I feel really good about, Um, You know, when we do raise our voice and we say what we want as believers and why it's important to us, most employers are making accommodations. Um, But I recognize that in the medical field, like things are really different and getting super tight um, for Christian believers. So we want to continue lifting them up as well. Steve, as always, um, thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate it. My pleasure. You guys can sign up uh, to receive the Liberties Roundup in your email. Go to wng.org. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Faith Radio. Hey, I'm praying the news this morning with the people of Bristol, Connecticut. Two police officers responding to a 911 call yesterday were shot and killed. Um, Bristol Police Sergeant Dustin DeMonte and Officer Alex Hamsey were shot and killed in the line of duty. Officer Alec Lorato was also shot and seriously wounded. He has since been released from the hospital, according to reporting this morning by CBS News. State police are saying that these officers were lured to a home with a fake 911 call. Uh, reporting a domestic dispute between two brothers. And when they arrived, they were ambushed. Nicholas Britcher, 35, was killed. His brother, uh, Nathan Britcher, 32, was injured. Um, listener Lori, who uh, is is with us every single day here on Mornings with Carmen, um, texted in and says, you know, let us be praying certainly for the officers and their families um, and the law enforcement community, but let us also be praying for the family of these two brothers. I went to church with the Butcher family. Um, These parents are Christians. They raised their sons in the church. Um, She worked with them in in youth group. Um, Let's be praying today uh, for everyone involved and for the devastation that now multiple families in the Bristol, Connecticut um, area are suffering today. Pray the news today. When you read a headline, 
when you hear uh, something over broadcast media, pray. Pray for the people involved on both sides of, um, of acts of violence. Um, let's be praying today ardently for and with one another. Lori, thank you so much for sharing your um, connection to the story and for being with us here this morning on Mornings with Carmen. We've got more up next with our friend Chris Martin. Um, we're going to bring the mind of Christ to bear on what's going on in technology and social media. Chris Martin is editor for Moody Press. Uh, He's a social media consultant. He's the author of Terms of Service. And he knows something about Dumpy the Giant Frog that, although viral on TikTok, is actually fake. Good morning, Chris. Good morning. How are you? I'm well. I'm well. So, um, yeah, uh, apparently Dumpy's not real. Supersized frog, not real. And I think it gives us an opportunity to talk about how we consume social media and what kind of filters we need to have against, you know, really deep fakes. Yeah, I was just telling Paul in our little chat before I came on that uh, I was totally oblivious to Dumpy the TikTok giant frog. Uh, that's, that's what I'm here to do. I, I am uh, here to bring you into yeah. the loop on some things. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, some dude on TikTok who... Uh, is a videographer uh, and, and is known for making kind of wacky videos recorded this video for TikTok of him holding this like giant frog. I mean, it looks like in just an unnaturally huge frog or uh, sitting on a table in front of him and uh, posted a couple of videos with the frog. They got millions of views and uh, here we are talking about it simply because it went viral. And he, the guy went on to say he wasn't really like intentionally trying to like deceive anybody. It wasn't like some sort of, There was not some malicious reason he was faking the size of this giant Australian tree frog that he had. Uh, But he's a videographer and he edits video for a living and he he likes making like different edits of videos. And uh, he said he basically manipulated the video to make it seem like the frog was way bigger than it was. And but millions of people thought the frog was real or I mean, the frog is real, thought the frog was really that big. (laughs) And I think it just goes to like, uh goes to show how quickly something can spread even if it's fake um and uh yeah it's it's really interesting that and now here we are talking about it because there's a cnn article about it and countless other posts on social media i I saw people (laughs) posting about a frog but i didn't bother to go figure out what it's about um and here we are talking about it just because some dude made some goofy video edits on uh on tiktok but we're talking about it because it's viral and tiktok is if it's good at anything it's good at making things go viral so Okay, so in terms of things that we're going to talk about that are not real, and yet um, at least one company, a really uh, mega-sized company called Meta, is trying to make us imagine is real, um, is virtual reality, the metaverse, and apparently now in the metaverse, you can have legs. Now, let me just confess that I didn't know you were legless in the metaverse prior to this. Yeah, and to be clear, you can't quite have legs yet. Uh, Meta Mm. announced at its uh, event earlier this week where they announced a new VR headset that costs a cool $1,499. That's $1,499. They they said, hey, we've solved for legs. Uh, And so I joked that the Meta VR program 
actually has legs now, but only literally. It doesn't figuratively have legs because still very few people are using their VR program. Um, and But what's funny is it actually just came out yesterday that the, the legs that they demonstrated on the avatars in the video on Tuesday were actually fake, which everybody collectively <laughs> gasped at Facebook deceiving the public again. Um, but they they faked the legs they motion captured them to demonstrate what it what it might look like when they add legs to their vr program sometime hopefully next year so you know we'll see what happens but yeah facebook facebook debuted some uh, new vr equipment earlier this week and they also uh, announced some major additions and changes to their vr platforms um and they're ever ever lucrative quest for metaverse dominance um, and, and I think it was around this time last year, actually, that we started having a ton of conversations about the metaverse. And, um, I think there's a lot of worthy conversation to be had about the metaverse. And I think it's something that, you know, by the time I'm retiring in 30 ish plus years, um, I'm guessing that a significant portion of the population will be spending a lot of time in a metaverse like place. Uh, both for work and for play, I think it is coming, and it's come. I think it's coming within my lifetime, um, and we're seeing a lot of development, and especially technological development, like hardware, in that space more than we've ever seen. However, uh, Mark Zuckerberg and the folks at Facebook Meta want it to happen like now, and he's frankly, I mean, he's basically said he's betting the company on it, um, and the problem is nobody's really using it. Now, they'll boast millions of people are buying their headsets, and that's true. The problem is a lot of people are buying the headsets to tinker with or play little video games on, but these video games, they're hard to even call video. They're like almost like demos of video games. It's just like to demonstrate the cool stuff the headset can do. They don't have any real depth. Um, and and so they're they're buying these headsets to occasionally play video games, but nobody's like... Very few people are like logging on to the metaverse to like hang out. It's an incredibly small portion of the population. Um, the in fact, the New York Times did a story. There was somebody, a, a reporter at the New York Times, spent like twelve hours a day for a week or a few weeks um, in the metaverse, just like talking to people and like basically it was like, what would it be like to feel like you're living in the metaverse? And what she found is like people were basically there like overnight. Uh, it was it was like a really interesting group of people that that she found in the Horizon Worlds app, which is like Meta, is Meta's like social VR app. Um, and she was like, it was there was a lot of like people just like harassing me, and it was just a it, it was an odd, it was a very internet like experience. There weren't people really just like hanging out and talking normally. So all that's to say is. Uh, Meta's betting a lot on the metaverse becoming a thing imminently, and I think the metaverse is going to become a thing, and I think as Christians we should be ready for that and not be shocked when it happens, but I don't think any of us should be either concerned or excited that we're going to be like living with a VR headset on our heads in the next decade. I just don't think it's going to happen. All right, uh, Gucci. <clears throat> Gucci is in this market. Apparently, uh, Gucci sold Dionysus handbags via robux r-o-b-u-x um which is in the digital universe um which in the metaverse uh you could buy one originally for six dollars in the resale market in the metaverse they are now going for four thousand one hundred and fifteen dollars 
which is actually more than the price of an actual physical Gucci Dionysus handbag, which, by the way, if you're spending $3,500 on a handbag, you're doing it wrong as a Christian. Um, but if you are if you are paying that for a fake, I mean, a, 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 a fake handbag and not even a real handbag that you could put something in, um, and you're spending it in the metaverse. I mean, you are lost. Like you're like you're like so lost. You're it, there's there's so anyway. This is all about money ultimately, right? Because my, yeah. Nike Nike bought a metaverse sneaker company in 2021, and you can't very well sell sneakers to little digital people who don't have legs because they won't have feet. And so <laughs> this is all about money. Let's be really, really clear. Um, and if you want to follow this storyline, CNN has actually dedicated an entire effort to the metaverse digital fashion scene. Um, they will tell you what kind of wardrobe you're going to need. They're going to tell you where to shop and what things are going to cost you in your digital wardrobe um, in the metaverse. So there is um, there's big money involved in this already, big companies involved in this already. And Chris, I think you're right. We're not there yet. But if media and big media keeps pushing it and big companies keep um, investing in metaverse wardrobing, it's almost like we will be forced to go there. Not you and I, but the culture. Yeah. 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 There's 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 a real reality in which this is a like the next iteration of the Internet. And, And I don't think it's ridiculous that in the year 2040, 2050, people could be having meetings with coworkers in the metaverse. I mean, it's not that much more ridiculous than having meetings on Zoom right now. Um, the avatars look like 2002 GameCube graphics, which are like really old, not very good graphics. Uh, but if they continue to improve, it could, there's a real reality in which like the majority of meetings someone takes in a given day could be taken via a VR headset and perhaps with full body avatar, legs, shoes and all, at which point it may make sense to buy digital clothing because why would you buy a button-down shirt for a real-life button-down, you know, uh, Oxford shirt for your meeting when you can't, that's not displaying. Is my avatar going to otherwise be naked? Like, this is the question. Does my my avatar not come with clothes already of some variety? Because I got to tell you, you know, mornings with Carmen, if you're going to have coffee with Carmen, what I'm going to be selling in the metaverse is a mug so that you can have coffee with Carmen. And, you know, like, right, there's going to be like a branding little, little, uh, what do you call that product placement business that, you know, you do? Yeah. I'm not, I am, I am, however, not going to take off my fuzzy robe that I'm currently wearing to do the show. Sure, sure, exactly. Right? That, and that would be I mean, funny. we're yeah, up sure. early. Everybody's in a robe right now. Nobody's dressed yet. Yeah. Yeah. yeah sure, sure. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right, we got to take a, a very brief break. When we come back, uh, Chris is going to talk with us about the Amazon Dream House and just how much those devices in your home know about you and where they're sharing that information. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of what we do on live radio every day. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio, tons of free resources just waiting for you at MyFaithRadio.com. Right now, we're inviting you to share your Faith Radio story. What do you love about Faith Radio? What do you love about Mornings with Carmen? How has this program changed the way you think or the way you live, the way you engage others in the conversations of the day? We really do want to hear from you. Your story could encourage someone else and certainly glorify God. So share what you love about Faith Radio by calling 877-933-2484 and leave us a message today. Again, thanks for listening. Give me a good cup of coffee. 
Good morning. Chris Martin is here for Coffee with Carmen, better known as Mornings with Carmen. Um, we're going to talk about uh, all of the things that Amazon now owns that you may also own um, and exactly how much information all of those connected devices are collecting in your house right now or in your car. So um, talk with us about uh, the Amazon, quote, dream house that really my kids said last night when I read them portions of this. That sounds like a nightmare house. They definitely yeah. don't want, just for the record, Chris, they definitely don't want an integrated toilet. They just, they were really clear about that one. Yeah, 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 yeah. So the more, more and more as I, Amazon's always kind of been a data company to some extent, um, like, like every internet company, social media companies, for instance, aren't social media companies, they're data companies, they're advertising companies that, that for you and I are, are social media companies, but for the majority for their customers, they're advertising companies. And Amazon is kind of getting that way as well. Um, obviously, Amazon has a huge business in their cloud services where where like Netflix, I think, lives on Amazon servers and all kinds of all kinds of websites live and, and massive websites live on Amazon's servers. But most of us know Amazon from its website. They just had a huge like second prime day this week. And um, a lot of people increasingly know them from their devices. Um, and like I own a Kindle, I have a ring doorbell. I think I got my ring doorbell before Amazon bought ring, but um, yeah, they, they own devices and they own, you might know of Amazon's echo, right? Especially, I think I saw this week during the, their little prime day sale um, that they were selling echoes for 99 cents. You might look at something mm. like that and say, how, why is Amazon, virtually giving away an Amazon Echo, something I think they've historically charged as much as like $50 for or something. Just like, you know, the little the little puck, hockey puck looking ones, not the super fancy ones. Um, they were they were selling those for 99 cents. I'm like, why is Amazon doing this? Um, historically, Google has also given away their, uh, their speakers. They give away everything. Called. I mean, um, right? I mean, yeah, most of my stuff from Google is free. Yeah, and here's the mm-hmm. reason Amazon would would give away something like an Echo speaker because Echo speakers are collecting data constantly. They're they're microphones for Amazon to better advertise and sell you uh, whatever you're looking to buy when you go to Amazon or or poke around the web generally. And so when you say Alexa this or Alexa that, well, here, here's the thing that some of your Maybe even your older listeners won't realize. Okay, fine. Yeah, I realize that my Echo has my Echo speaker has a microphone. I kind of get that. Of course, that's how I talk to Alexa and ask her to play my favorite song or whatever. But when you say uh, Alexa, the wake word as it's called, to summon the voice assistant to play music or answer questions or whatever, you have to understand logically the microphone is listening to more than what you just say when you say Alexa, because how right, else it's listening, would it know? It has to be listening all the time. If it's going to That's hear right. us say Alexa, then it's listening all yeah. the time for that. I mean, even if it's only listening for that one word, it's overhearing everything else. That's right. And yeah, I'm not going to sit here and say that Amazon is collecting and sifting through everything you ever say, but something has to be sifting through everything you ever say uh, and, and I, I, there's a, that, <laughs> there's a reason I don't own any microphone enabled things like that in my house. Um, so, so echo speakers collecting audio data, obviously. And, and then obviously this just goes without saying, and I think most people would be kind of okay with this part 
is anytime you're saying like Alexa, play me, you know, whatever, uh, the Jackson five greatest hits or, you know, Alexa, what's the weather? Uh, and it tells you the weather for your location. Um, most people are probably okay with the fact that Amazon now knows like, Hey, you're really into this music or you live in this place or you're, you're really interested in the weather and that's going to change your internet experience. Um, I don't like that. And that's part of why, like, I don't like, uh, listening something listening to me constantly and and then marketing to me as a result um but some people prefer that and I, and I think that's a personal preference thing but it can also count snores which is really interesting if you turn that if you turn that on echo speaker can count snores for some of you listening that might knock out the battery of your amazon echo are, there, are they plugged into the wall i don't know anyway um it might it might overclock your amazon echo so be careful if it's counting your snores of course kindle uh tablets that those are i i would say probably the least harmless in terms of data collection it's they can tell how fast you're reading they can tell what you like reading that's i i don't see that as particularly intrusive yeah like you said there are integrated toilets echo shows have video calls so obviously there's like facial recognition stuff going on there um oh i like the one that was like a robot that like it knows who's in your house when and whether or not they're supposed to be there that's a little creepy yeah Yeah, exactly Uh, a Mm wi-fi router an eero wi-fi router can tell uh, what devices are connected to your home, how much data you use, you're using, uh, what your internet service provider is, that sort of thing. Um, there's a lot of useful information Amazon can harvest from that. Yeah, Roomba vacuum cleaner. Um, yeah, Amazon, I think, owns that now. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it, it acquired mm-hmm. it in a deal for $1.7 billion. Camera, obviously, there's a camera roaming around your house. Um, so <clears throat> it's this is this goes back to what we've talked about before with Postman. Um, we have this idea that we're going into this Orwellian future where the government tries to spy on us by putting TVs in our house that have cameras in them and make us watch certain propaganda programming. When really, as Postman says, we're going into more of a Aldous Huxley Brave New World scenario where we don't have to have surveillance technology hoisted upon us by a malevolent government. We just welcome it into our houses because of the pleasure it provides via asking it to play music for us or what the weather is or clean our house not very efficiently. I've owned a Roomba. They're not that great, for, in my opinion. Um, and so we we give up. We have to ask ourselves constantly, what are we giving up in order to obtain these incredibly petty pleasures? Um, and we – if we're cons- if you find yourself concerned about a sort of surveillance state, government's going to surveil me and watch me all the time. Um, first of all, you should be asking yourself the question: Am I doing this to myself already? Simply because of the cool gadgets I prefer to buy, and also you might think, well, like I trust Amazon more than the government. If that's maybe a retort you would be thinking, I trust Amazon more than the government. H- here's the thing. The government can like can go after the that data and that uh, video, that audio. I mean, police forces around the country have harvested data from ring doorbells when they can deem that it's a that it's uh, necessary to assess an emergency situation. And so, uh, we need to be on guard and careful about the kinds of technology we're welcoming into our houses for very petty conveniences and what we may be giving up by doing so. Um, All right. Uh, If you're listening to this and you say to yourself, I want to review here and maybe delete um, everything that uh, my Alexa knows about me, 
You can do so. Um, there are instructions in today's show notes, or you can just go to your Alexa privacy settings in your web browser. You can open the Alexa app, uh, go to more and select settings. Alexa privacy is what you're looking for um, to review all of that. Also, you might want to reread Rod Dreher's Live Not By Lies um, for conversations about um, similar content as well. Um, Chris, we don't have a huge amount of time, but tell us, um, can the internet protect me and can can I rely on the internet um, to govern life? No, uh, the internet can protest and overthrow, but it, it can never govern. And a lot of that just comes from the fact that Jonathan Haidt wrote a great article about this back in the spring called Why the Past 10 Years of American Life Have Been Uniquely Stupid. It's actually a, re- a really good post, one of my favorite things I've read all year. And the general idea is that The way the internet is set up, the sort of distributed networks of socialization make it really easy to cause a ruckus, but make it really – and tear things down, but make it really difficult to ever build anything up or maintain order. And I think as we uh, observe life online and live life online, we watch people get destroyed because of something they said or did. We need to recognize that it's really easy for people to tear down in the way the internet is set up, but it's really hard to build something that's any better. And that's just because of the nature of the internet and how it works. All right. Um, as always, you guys need to be reading what Chris is writing. Termsofservice.social is where you can find it. Um, Chris Martin, as always, thank you so much for joining us. Of course. Thank you. Absolutely. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Faith Radio. Pretty much uh, lots of similar questions um, about the conversation we just had with Chris Martin. Um, Who's listening and when are they listening? Anything that you have, even if it's turned, quote unquote, off, anything that is enabled, enabled to hear you. So Siri, Alexa, um, Google Assistant, um, all of those are enabled to respond when you call upon them, which means that they are technically always listening because they're listening for those words. And so... Yeah, if your location is enabled on your phone, then yes, when you say something to Siri, um, yeah, your location is recorded and they know it. Um, yeah, certainly. Like, that's <laughs> that's how it all works. That's how you can get those things where Google will tell you everywhere you've been in the last month. Uh-huh. Um, hey, be praying the headlines this morning, um, lifting up um, a shooting uh, in Raleigh, North Carolina yesterday as well, where a police officer was killed in addition to the news we talked about earlier from Bristol, Connecticut. Let's be praying for these places and these spaces, all the people involved, the first responders, the families. Um, yeah, let's let's let our prayers be heavy this morning for those whose hearts are heavy this day. We got another hour of Mornings with Carmen up next. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.